Hello and welcome to Nursing Care of COVID-19 Patients, Part 2. As Dr. Allen says, I've witnessed innumerable deaths in my career, but I've never watched this many relatively young, otherwise healthy people become this sick, this quickly, and die alone. Welcome to the Nurse Tutor Podcast from the editor of Nursing Made Incredibly Easy, I hope to give you some tips and time savers that are useful and understandable that you can use in your practice right away. As of today, there's over 13 million cases of COVID-19 and over 275,000 deaths as a result of COVID-19. Unfortunately, we still don't know a whole lot about this disease process and how it is affecting many of our patients. Let's explore this a little bit further and talk about how we can prevent some complications in our COVID-19 patients. As we discussed last week, COVID-19 is a virus, and it's associated with a lot of other viruses, maybe some very common ones that we're very familiar with, like the common cold. It attacks the body in a number of ways. Usually it's being introduced into the body from the respiratory system. So it goes down into the lungs, and that's the first place it's going to attack. As the virus attaches to the lung tissue, it's going to cause destruction directly to the lung tissue. And that's why we see a lot of these respiratory complications that are associated with COVID-19. However, the virus is also going to migrate its way out of the lungs. Remember, the lungs are very vascular. So we've got lots of blood flow there, and the virus gets into the blood, and it moves to other parts of the body, including the cardiovascular system, the neuromuscular system, the GI system, and the liver and the kidneys. Now let's back up for a moment and talk about how this virus is attacking the lung and what is happening here in the lung to cause problems and how we're going to be able to assess those problems to implement some early interventions for our COVID-19 patients. First of all, the virus is attacking the lungs. It gets into the lung because it's aerosolized, so it's going to go down into the alveolus. Now, the alveolus is surrounded by this vasculature, and we have this thin little membrane in between called the alveolar capillary membrane. The alveolar capillary membrane is going to be attacked as part of this whole inflammatory process that's occurring here with COVID-19 that is going to start to cause problems with how well we're able to move gases across that alveolar capillary membrane. One way to assess that, a very effective way to assess that, is by doing a PO2-FiO2 ratio. Now, in order to do this, of course, we would have to have a blood gas because we need a PO2. PO2 is the partial pressure of oxygen in the bloodstream, So we're looking at how much oxygen is in the bloodstream, and then we look at the FiO2. The FiO2 is a fraction of inspired oxygen, so in other words, the amount of oxygen that is being inhaled into the lung. So we know how much is being inhaled, we know how much is in the bloodstream, so we're able to look at that ratio and be able to tell how much gets across the alveolar capillary membrane. So this gives us a good indication of how healthy that alveolar capillary membrane is. So as the term implies, the PO2-FiO2 ratio is actually a division problem. We take the PO2 and we divide it by the FiO2. So let me give you an example. We have a patient here who has a PO2 of 80. And then we're going to divide that by their FiO2. So let's say that this patient is on a 40% Venny mask. The FiO2 would be 0.5. 
four. We can't divide by a percentage, so we have to put that into a decimal. So it's 0.4. So now our equation is 80 divided by 0.4. I would encourage you to do these with a calculator because the number you come up with is always going to be larger than the numbers you started with. So in this case, it comes out, the equation comes out to 200. So we started with 80 divided by 0.4. We're dividing by a decimal, so the number is going to be larger, our result's going to be larger, and that is 200. A normal PL2 FIL2 ratio is greater than 300. So you can see in this problem that we just did, our patient actually has some deficit of that alveolar capillary membrane. However, if you're just looking at the PO2, PO2 of 80 is normal. It's on the low side of normal, but it is normal. And if we're just looking at a pulse ox, likely the pulse ox is going to be normal because we have a normal PO2. So just looking at our pulse ox, just looking at our PO2, we're going to say, wow, this guy looks kind of okay. But when we look at the PO2 FIO2 ratio, we can see that there's early signs that we're having problems in that alveolar capillary membrane. Some associated symptoms we could expect to see with this patient include subjective dyspnea. So that is, the patient is telling you, I feel like I can't catch my breath. Okay. Now, the respiratory rate may be 20, 24, maybe 26. You know, it's nothing alarming. It's not like it's 40. You know, when you see somebody with a respiratory rate of 40, you know, it's like the bells and whistles go off, right? So we know that the patient's in respiratory distress. But that's subjective dyspnea. They feel like they can't catch their breath. You're watching them breathe, and you're thinking, I don't know, that looks like they're breathing pretty good to me, right? And then an increase in their respiratory rate. Now, that increase could be subtle. So maybe it was 16 before, now it's 24, all right? Well, the subtle increase. You know, we look at a patient with a respiratory rate of 24, and normally we don't think much of it. But in this case, when we go from 16 to 24, we've got to think about the possibility that something could be going on. Validate it by checking for the subjective dyspnea and doing the PO2 FIO2 ratio. Another very effective method of being able to assess our patients who have COVID-19 infection in the lung is by doing a chest x-ray. So we're going to be looking for some very specific things in that chest x-ray, a diffuse pulmonary edema. Now, keep in mind that when you're talking about pulmonary edema, usually we're talking about having those in the bases in the lungs. So if you have a patient who has cardiogenic pulmonary edema, it forms in the bases, and then it works its way up you know, because gravity, gravity's pulling the fluid down there, so it starts in the bases. In this case here, though, in uh, the type of ARDS look that's happening in our patient who has COVID-19 infection, is it's caused by inflammation, and that inflammation will be diffuse. So therefore, the pulmonary edema is going to be diffuse and scattered throughout the lungs. So eventually, we'll see kind of this whiteout on the chest x-ray. We might also see this ground glass appearance that occurs on the chest x-ray or on CT scans of our patient who has COVID-19 infection. Some associated symptoms include rowels or those fine crackles that you hear. And again, these are going to be throughout the lungs. So different than cardiogenic pulmonary edema where they're forming in the bases and working their way up. Now we're hearing them scattered throughout the lung because we have this scattered pulmonary edema. Sputum production, okay, that's part of this whole inflammatory process that's occurring in the lung, so anticipate. Fever, and then an increased respiratory rate as our patient is trying to move those gases across that alveolar capillary membrane.
Our prompt action for these respiratory problems will be to have our patient do some deep coughing. We really want them to try to mobilize those secretions. They're going to have secretions forming in all parts of the lung because of this overwhelming out-of-control inflammation. So we need to mobilize those secretions. Some huff breathing may help with that. Chest percussion. Again, that may help turning and positioning. Let gravity work for you. In fact, we found that uh, most patients who have COVID-19 infection and ARDS in general uh, do benefit by prone positioning. So we actually put the patient into the prone position, so flipping them over onto their belly. And because of gravity, it helps to move some of those secretions out of the bases in the back of the lung and helps to free up those bases in the back. Remember, the bases in the back are the part of the lung that has the best perfusion. So by opening those up and by getting those secretions out of there, we're going to allow that patient to be able to have better oxygenation. At the same time, it also helps to move the heart, the weight of the heart, off of the lungs so that we get better expansion of our lungs. You're going to see an increase in the patient's PO2, putting them into the prone position, but oftentimes it's difficult because your patient may become hemodynamically unstable when we start flipping them over like that. The typical pattern that we would use in a patient in the prone position is to leave them in that position for a significant period of time. I'm talking about like 16 hours so that we can get an adequate amount of blood flow and an adequate amount of the movement of those secretions out of those dependent areas of the lung and reopen the lungs. Typically, we would put a patient into the prone position for 16 hours, back on their back for eight, and then repeat the process again. In some cases, in some hospitals, they use a four-to-one ratio, four hours in the prone position, one hour in the supine position, and back and forth. Keep in mind that you have to be you have to have a protocol for doing this. So don't just say, hey, one day, hey, this sounds like a cool thing. Let's just flip them over and put them on his belly because you can end up with skin breakdown. You can end up with all sorts of additional complications if the patient is not positioned correctly in the prone position. So you want to have a process for this and want to have a policy for how you're doing the proning. Some other types of prompt actions that will help with our patient, uh, maybe those patients that aren't as sick and don't need the prone positioning, elevating the head of the bed, uh, giving oxygen for a saturation less than 92%, using high-flow nasal cannula oxygen. This is a therapy that's been around for quite a while, but really did not gain any major traction until our COVID-19 patients. We have these patients who have this severe respiratory distress, and we're trying to keep from intubating them, and we really got a lot of experience quickly with using high-flow nasal cannula oxygen in this patient population. Even though it's been around for a while, we've known about it, we haven't really had a lot of experience to be able to research and be able to determine how well it works. But we do know it works well in our COVID-19 patients. Uh, we're going to use a low tidal volume strategy for our mechanical ventilation to try to prevent causing barotrauma. And we may even use ECMO, which is extracorporeal membrane oxygenation. In those very, very sick patients who are not doing well and hemodynamically unstable in the ICU, we may put them on ECMO, which is kind of like a bedside dialysis, except what it does is it pulls the CO2 off and, and gives oxygen to the blood. So it's kind of like bedside bypass. We also want to be able to recognize early signs of sepsis and septic shock, keeping in mind that this virus 
as it spreads through the body, can cause this overwhelming out-of-control inflammatory response everywhere, including the vasculature, the heart, etc., and cause the patient to develop sepsis and septic shock. There's three major components that are part of this overwhelming out-of-control inflammatory response. So inflammation causes vasodilation, capillary permeability, and clotting, those three big things going on. Now, what this means when patients have septis, sepsis and septic shock is that the vasodilation will cause the blood pressure to go down. And the initial response will be a drop in diastolic blood pressure. Remember, diastolic is reflective of the vasculature, whereas systolic pressure is reflective of cardiac output. So we're going to see a drop in our diastolic pressure first, and we're also going to see a labile temperature as a result of this vasodilation. Next, we get capillary permeability. That's going to cause edema, and we've already discussed how that happens in the lung as a result of overwhelming inflammation, but we'll also get the same kind of capillary permeability and edema occurring elsewhere in the body. So peripherally, you see it in the arms, the legs, etc. person blows up like the Michelin Man, you know, with all the third spacing of fluid. But we also have that occurring in the organs, and that could be contributing to multi-organ dysfunction. Lastly, there's clotting, and you may have heard of some of the complications of COVID-19 infection, including venous thromboembolism, pulmonary embolisms, DIC, etc. This is all part of that clotting cascade that is going to be stimulated as part of the COVID-19 inflammatory process. So our prompt action is going to be monitor those dynamic parameters that are going to tell you about the patient's hemodynamics in patients who have the potential for sepsis and septic shock. These include skin temperature, capillary refill, and our lactate level. Use a conservative fluid volume strategy, and now they're recommending lactated ringers for resuscitation rather than using normal saline or albumin or dextran or hextran. Those things all tend to increase mortality in our patients who have COVID-19. And for more information about nursing care of COVID patients, please see our YouTube videos at The Nursing Prof. In closing, remember that COVID-19 attacks all our body systems. It stimulates the systemic inflammatory response syndrome, which can then lead to multi-organ dysfunction. A thorough assessment can find problems early on and prevent complications. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. To find out more about how to manage patients and identify problems early on, check out our Nursing Emergencies program at thenursingprof.com. Thank you for joining me this week on the Nurse Tutor Podcast. Until next time. <laughs> <laughs>